Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be discussing last night slightly more nervy than it perhaps should have been. 1-0 victory over FC Zurich, as well as Sunday's upcoming Big Six clash with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, we're joined by two tip-top pundits and analysts, James McNicholas and Adrian Clark. Morning. Hello, good morning. 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 Before we get going, we did get through the Europa League group stages, uh, which, let's be fair... I think it's a great, it's something painful that you just have to do. So I thought I'd ask, what else that is not fun do you have to just grit your teeth and get through? Uh, I have seen it likened to a trip to the dentist for root canal work. Arsenal this morning said it was like a trip to the proctologist. If you don't know, look it up. <laughs> Any others? Uh, Adrian, what's something painful that you just have to get through? Well, I, the thing that came to mind, it took me back actually to... So, I did A-levels when I was at Arsenal in my spare time. So I was a footballer, but I I sort of went back to my old school and did them. Put a lot of effort into it, you know, travelling all the way back from London to my old school in Suffolk. And and, and the first year of the maths A-level, I flew through it. It was all good. But the second year, I was getting in and around the first team picture and my eye was off the ball and my grades were shocking in the second set of exams. And those last few exams were like pulling teeth. I just had to get through it to get some kind of past grade and it wasn't fun it wasn't enjoyable but it was kind of worth it in the end so that that's the thing that jumps out in terms of um equating what I saw last night because it wasn't <laughs> it was not enjoyable a maths but exam in the second yeah the, in the a levels the second just year just sort of climbing over the line just yeah. about to get my i think i got a b or a c in the end but but some of my grades were shocking but i got the a level so that's all that matters and and we got through to the last last 16 so happy yes days. And you had to do a couple of less exams in the next round. Or, or does that analogy, maybe I'm pushing it too far. Uh, James, what have you got for us? Have you also gone down a school route? Because I have. I really no, I haven't. For me, I, I think proctologist might be pushing it a bit far, but I'd definitely say... <laughs> do, you know, do, do you really want to rephrase that possibly in some way? But maybe okay. I won't. Maybe I won't. I think that would work better. But I, I think for me, it's sort of comparable to having to go to the gym. You know, it's not something I massively enjoy, but I know it's good for me and I know there's a benefit and it's better that I do it than that I don't. But moment to moment, it's not my favourite thing. Yeah. I mean, it's I never had to do it, but my missus got me to go and watch the piano once, Jane Campion film, and that, that felt really incredibly painful. <laughs> Worse, in fact, 
I, I know it's meant to be something better than last night, but that was even worse. Two and a half hours, I'm never getting back. But I would go exams as well. When I did, I, I, I did an engineering degree for some, I don't know, before I started doing comedy. And um, I uh, there was a thing called control engineering, which is like maths, only harder than maths. And, and you had to pass it. And I got, I think, the bare minimum. And it was one of those... One of those subjects that when you had the lecturer in front of you explaining it, you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, 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 that makes perfect sense. And then the moment he left the room, you go, what did he say? I have no idea what, what, no idea how this works. And I scraped through. Again, Adrian, similar to yeah. you, I scraped through. But you couldn't get a degree without it. So, uh, And if without my engineering degree, I wouldn't be presenting an Arsenal-based uh, uh, <laughs> podcast. Well, exactly. <laughs> so thank heavens for that. And Tierney here was! Arsenal won, FC Zurich nil, through to the knockout stages of the Europa League. And just as importantly, we qualified top of our group, so we avoid the two extra games that the runners-up will have to play in February. Incidentally, against the teams that dropped down from the Champions League, that includes Barcelona, Ajax and Juventus. I hope Manchester United get all of them. I do. Uh, Job done, James. Just in the end, but job done. Job done, and you know that they were Mikel Arteta's exact words. What else can you say about it? It wasn't anything to write home about. It wasn't a great quality game. I think, to be honest, Arsenal probably did enough in the first seventy minutes that they they should have really extended their lead beyond the one goal, and and it made that last fifteen minutes or so much nervier than it needed to be, especially with PSV going and getting a very good result over in Norway. But yeah, we got over the line. Funnily enough, coming away from the game, my main takeaways are sort of about performances, really, rather than result and yes. looking at individuals and, you know, who might have put themselves in, in strong contention for the weekend. And and interestingly, some of those who didn't, you know, this is, is an opportunity for squad players to stake a claim. And I think not that many did. And we don't actually play again in Europe, I think I'm right in saying now, until March. So obviously, we've got the domestic cups to come, but... You know, this was a big, the group stage was a big stage for certain players. And it's interesting to kind of think who really sees that opportunity and perhaps who didn't. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, before we talk about that, uh, Adrian, that referee last night, I mean, I mean, I understand it's a lesser European trophy, but I've seen better referees in the championship than him. <laughs> what was it that, that you took exception to? Because obviously, I was, I was just watching it live. I didn't really sort of, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get that that feeling. I was just frustrated with what we were doing. To be honest, go on, tell me. Well, it was the first five minutes, and somebody like stole. We try. I think Kiratini tried to steal about five or ten yards at a throw-in, which every fullback has done since the dawn of time. And it was the officious way he went. Now back you go, and he and he really insisted on the last couple of yards. And mm. I thought, all right, mate, all right, I I get it. You're the ref. You have to be in control and everything. But there was something about him, and he missed a lot of fouls. I felt. I don't think we got the best of the refereeing decisions. I mean, Gabriel got booked at the end. That was a joke. That was a joke. It wasn't even a foul, but there were loads of decisions. And I just thought, yeah, this is not the competition I want us to be in. Yeah, I, I get that. I, yeah, I didn't have that same feeling. Maybe I wasn't watching it <laughs> watching it closely enough in terms of the fouls and stuff. What my sense was that Zurich were aggressive and that they knocked us out of the, out of our stride. They kind of were man to man at various they points were. in the game, and um, and and that's quite hard to play against. 
if you don't move them around, if you don't interchange positions, if you, if you carry on playing in straight lines, it's very, very difficult to shake off those markers and, you, and, it, and it stunts your flow as a team. And I think it's twofold, really. They did that, which stopped us finding a flow. Plus, we had a bit of a mix and match team that hasn't played together too often this season. And, and, and therefore, that instinct, that, that those one and two touch passes that we've enjoyed this season were, were not there. We were taking the extra touches. Sure, it were on us, whether it was a foul or not. And, and we just couldn't string, couldn't string passes together. I was looking at the passes. Accurate passes, right? This is home to Zurich, the team that are bottom of the Swiss League. Our top passer made 34 accurate passes. Rob Holding. Fabio Vieira, who's the sort of playmaker you'd hope to, hope him to be the playmaker, made, uh, no, Sambi Laconga rather, made 25 accurate passes. Someone that you're looking to, to get on the ball, dominate things. We didn't seem able to do it. It was, it was a really frustrating game. Just by point of contrast, I think I'm right in saying that Thomas Partey against Nottingham Forest completed more than 100 passes. Mm. Yeah, it was very, very different. And 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 Zurich better than Forest? I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, Their record in the Swiss league is is terrible, isn't it? I think they've won one of fourteen games, something like that. They're not a great. They're not a great team. They didn't look great over in Switzerland. And I think our first team, fit and firing, would have put them to the sword. But obviously, that's not the way it worked. One thing, by the way, about. The atmosphere there last night, the Zurich fans made an enormous amount of noise, constant noise as well. And it was, it is quite impressive. Is it just me, James? And I was, well, I want to know from both of you, I find that sort of singing a little bit detached from what's happening in the actual game. I mean, they didn't even stop singing when one of their own players was subbed. I, I mean, I'm... Sh- but I think what I think it did do was put our fans off a little bit. It was hard to get any songs going with them making that racket. James, what do you think? Well, I think it's probably the hallmark of a team who come into a game thinking, probably not expecting to be hugely competitive. And so they're just there to make noise for 90 minutes and enjoy the experience. As it turned out, the game was closer than, than perhaps anyone imagined it might be. The main thing I kept thinking watching them is how do they get all those flares into the ground, to be honest with you? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a fair point considering a couple of years ago I couldn't get a bottle of water with the top on into yeah. the ground, right? But apparently a flare is okay. There were some tweets out there, Arsenal fans saying, <laughs> the funniest part of all this is that, that someone in front of me in the row in front got chucked out for vaping. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet. Also, by the way, where are they getting these flares? I mean, I know I used to live in West Hendon in North uh, Northwest London and there was a shop that sold uh, marine stores and you could I mean is is that one of the fans that, you know made to go you can dip down to West End and get a load of Stanley, there's this thing right it, it, www it's called the World Wide Web um <laughs> <laughs> all right okay i'll give that a go i'll give that a go what's the why do you spell it again w- anyway yeah, i went okay. to a wedding a couple of weeks ago you didn't um, take and the people wedding, well the people who got married were like massive arsenal fans they go home and away and the best man during the wedding photo set off a flare and uh genuinely it burnt holes in his shirt Good, good. I hope he was. I hope he's okay. But really, he's fine. yeah, you weren't in a tent, were you? Because you wouldn't want some sort of marquee. We were uh, in a tent. It oh, swiftly man. went up in flames, of course. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. I was at that end. So I was at that end of the ground, and yeah, they were. They did make a racket. It did. It was a little bit off-putting. It kind of, That's kind what I'm of. Saying. Did. 
All European teams do it. Dortmund do it. They all make a, a noise. And it feels a little bit detached from the actual game. I like a little bit of ebb and flow in a crowd, personally. Me too. Me too. I was looking beneath us where the Ashburton Army normally stationed, and they were a few men down, I've got to say. So I think they were, there was probably only about a fifth of the usual number. And, School and, night, wasn't it? And they were, tr- <laughs> yeah. And they, they were trying, but I could see it in their eyes. That they it, they were just, it was just a losing battle for them. I think they they kind of just got drowned out. And so yeah, it was just one of those nights. You got to so it was one of those on nights. Mm. You know, not as painful as proctology, but more painful than perhaps uh, an exam. <laughs> say that's that's how it felt. Um, we will talk now, James. Since you mentioned it, we will talk about some of the players who played themselves into contention. Let's start with Kieran Tierney. Uh, I thought he had an excellent game. Really, really good goal. The way the players ran to him when he scored uh, scored the winner he's been hurt by what's happened hasn't he I mean this is the first time in his career when he's not been an automatic pick and I think it's I think he's found it difficult and there was a certain anger in the way that he hit that ball and then ran off to celebrate I thought I think so I think it will have frustrated him I think he wants to be playing those Premier League games I think he's got a real chance at the weekend because obviously he played well. I thought he was one of Arsenal's better players on the night. He did some some good work in his own box too, which uh, we might not have anticipated him needing to do. Also, Tommy Asu went off with you know what looked like a muscular injury, so his chances look pretty good for the weekend. And I think Arsenal were in a real position of strength there because you know Kieran Tilly is a quality player in his own right. I do think it is interesting that it seemed to me that last night he was playing that left back role a little bit differently to. You know how we're accustomed to seeing Tommy Asu play it or, or Zinchenko. Seemed to me that he was given a bit more license to overlap and get forward. And Sabi Lakonga, who was ostensibly playing that Granite Xhaka role, I don't think did have quite the same freedom to to get forward and join the channels of attack. So there was a little tactical tweak there from Arteta. Um, you can debate how well it worked, but I thought for Kieran Tierney it suited him and brought out some of the, the stronger parts of his game. So. I think he'll have one eye on, on Chelsea now. I think he's got a pretty good chance of starting that match. Adrian, when it comes to Kieran Tierney, I mean, I've read about how he doesn't quite suit the way that Mikel Arteta likes to play. He prefers his fullbacks to sort of come in and be inverted and all that sort of stuff. And, and overlapping fullbacks sort of gets in the way of some of the other runs. Is that the case? And and was it a tactical tweak on, on Arteta's part or was it just Kieran Tierney playing his natural game? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I, I think he's learning it. And I think throughout the Europa League group stage, we've seen him quite a lot in central midfield, even breaking forward into a centre-forward position at, at times, I remember, especially in a couple of the away games. I think it's been a good exercise for him to acclimatise to that that shift. James is right. I think in this game, he allowed him to be more himself, Mikel Arteta. So he gave him that freedom and it did maybe restrict Sambu Lukonga. That's a good point, to be honest. But why would you want to shackle Kieran Tierney? Why turn him into Zinchenko when his strengths are very different to Zinchenko? So I think it's about finding the right balance with Tierney. At times he'll be central midfield, but I think we, we, all, we all know that he's, he's at his most effective out wide, causing problems. And, and it helps Martinelli, doesn't it, as well, in, in the first eleven because he likes to drive in in field so um it's not it's not an issue on Kieran I just think um he he was the best player in my opinion for Arsenal in the game and uh, yeah he's quite he's not like a lot of modern footballers he's he's a little bit more he's more normal more of a sort of normal no ego kind of guy and I do think he's a little bit sensitive I think he's he, 
it will have impacted him more than some other people um, if they'd have been in his position this season. I think he's he will have taken it a little bit to heart because he's down in England. He's down down south. He's got a lot of time to think about his football when he's not playing. And if you're not playing, that can get to you a little bit. So I'm really pleased for him that he scored such a good goal. Yeah. And and I hope he can can get a run of games because he's an excellent player. He is, uh, and and I know about not more than a year ago he was being talked about as a future Arsenal captain. So, you know, hopefully there's a big future for him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello, everyone. I'm Tony Jameson, the new host of the Football Manager Show, brought to you by The Athletic. Football Manager has quite frankly ruined my life, but I'd be completely lost without it. And if those words resonate with you, our podcast will be right up your street with FM23's release inching closer and closer. Every week, myself and Aaron Falloon, aka RDF Tactics, take a deep dive into our most recent saves. We speak to the makers of the game about how to crack it and take on wacky community challenges suggested by our loyal listenership. So if that sounds like a bit of you, make sure to subscribe to the Football Manager Show wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Some of the other players you were talking about, James, who didn't quite stake a claim. Anyone in particular? Well, it, it's an interesting discussion point. I, I felt a bit underwhelmed by uh, Eddie and Ketia in the Europa League group stage. But two goals, two goals in two six goals games. from six games. But the the caveat that I would offer to that is that Mikel Arteta has got this tendency to if he plays Jesus with Nketiah, to play Jesus through the middle and Eddie out wide. And I, I think that's a really interesting choice and not one I'm sure I'm on board with entirely. I don't know if it's designed, you know, Arteta said it's about making one change rather Less than two. Less changes, yes. Yeah, yes. and keeping the kind of tactical integrity of the team. Maybe so, but I do think when you look at the individual qualities of Jesus versus Nketiah, I'd say one looks much more suited to the wing and one much more to the penalty box. And I'm not sure it's the way round they've started. So I did expect more from Eddie in in these group stage games, but at the same time, have a little bit of sympathy with him because I think he's been played on several occasions in a position that he's not entirely suited to. Adrian, you were nodding along there. Yeah, no, I, I said the same when we did our sort of pitch side team news here. I said, I would prefer to see... Um, Jesus out wide and, and Eddie and Ketia down down the middle because he did he did that role brilliantly for Manchester City. Okay, we don't want him to play there in the Premier League, Gabriel Jesus. But if 
Eddie plays, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. I would have had Gabriel Jesus on the right, where he did a lot of damage for Manchester City. I'd have had Eddie yes. down the middle. And I would have had Reese Nelson on the left, because I think he's at his best on the left side of our attack, even though he scored two the other day by playing on the right. I think he likes it better on the other flank. So, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't think we got the makeup of our forward line spot on, but you learn. On Eddie, by the way, um, second most shots in the group stage in open play, 22 efforts to get those two goals. So it's not, not a great conversion rate. Um, I think he'll be frustrated at, at how the group went. I think you could probably say the same for Vieira. And Sambri Lekonga, I think I think that they've had they've played in all the games. Five players played in all the games. Holding, Eddie, Sambi, Vieira and Tierney started all six. We know about holding. He, he was steady he was steady. Tierney has come out of it with a tick. And I think Eddie, Sambi and Vieira, you know, there's nothing better really than six out of 10 for the group stage from from those guys. So they'll be frustrated. They'll be kicking themselves, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about the fact that the second string players are not quite at the level that we need. I read somewhere last night that it's much harder for those players to play in a team together as opposed to coming into the first team for one-offs. Adrian, is that true? Somebody was talking about Reese Nelson's performance, saying it's a lot easier for him to come into the team against Forrest because he's with the first team who were really firing or were on, on uh, Sunday, as opposed to playing in a team with five or six uh, five or six second-string players. It's a bit disjointed. No, 100%. Yeah, no, it's absolutely easy. I mean, yeah, I experienced that. I mean, when I had my, my handful of games coming in and playing with you know, Bergkamp and Wright and Winterburn or Dixon behind me, they make you look better. <laughs> you know, it just makes everything easier for you and yeah. everything flows more. No, it is hard, but football's a ruthless industry, isn't it? And you've got to take opportunities. And it's if your opportunity is one where there's lots of lots of new faces in the team, then you've got to play yourself through that if you can. But 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 also I think it is a genuine caveat. I think you you have to put an asterisk next to these games because it's far harder to shine when there's effectively a reserve team out there than it is when you're dropped into the main team. It, yeah, it's a huge difference, I would say. Gabriel Jesus, it's eight games now, I think it is, James, without a goal. I mean, it doesn't seem to impact the rest of the way, the rest of his game. He's still playing with confidence. He's still There was one moment in the first half where, where Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale threw it out to him or kicked it out to him, a low pass, and he came and dropped very deep. And the centre-half followed him and he turned and he did it, played a lovely through ball to Vieira. I think it was to Vieira who should have got away. So he's still playing with confidence. His, his touch is still immense, but it's just in the box. He seems a little bit hesitant. Should we be worried or does it? he'll play through it? I wrote about just this the other day. The run, the run without a goal, I think it stretches to, is it seven or eight appearances now? Not sure. But, um, you know, there were some great moments from him last night. I, I like that little sprint back and spin and passing behind you mentioned. There were a couple of touches around the penalty box you know, little drag backs or pieces of control yeah. that were immaculate. He's still bringing a lot to the game, to the play. But all strikers, I think, thrive on goals. And I think it would I, I, he'll be aware of it. You know, when you look at Jesus's history, there have been spells where he hasn't scored. I mean, notably the last World Cup, he went through the group stage without a goal and it haunted him a bit from everything we read and from everything he said about it. 
I think coming to Arsenal, it would have been in his mind, look, I want to be the main man. I want to be a goal scorer. And he hit the ground running in that respect. If you remember pre-season and the early games of the season. So I'm sure he will be feeling it. He had a, a decent chance last night, didn't he, from quite close range. He likes that lifted finish uh, looking for the top of the net, but he's had about two or, two or three in a row. It was a save. It was a, a save. save. It was a save, but I mean, you know, I still think perhaps perhaps he could have done a bit better there. Um, there's not much more to say about it, really. He's playing very well. He's bringing a huge amount to the team. Arsenal are, by and large, scoring lots of goals. I mean, Mikel Arteta said in spring last year, to be competitive in this league, you need to score at least 90 goals. It sounded absurd at the time that Arsenal could reach that. But if you look at their goals per game ratio in the Premier League at this point in time, they're on pace for that. They're on pace for 95, which is extraordinary and speaks to the attacking improvement in the team. I think Jesus has been a big, big catalyst for that. But I think if he was really honest, I think he would say that, it is nagging him at him a little bit now, that lack of goal, just for his own self-confidence. And I do think, you know, I think it's quite important he, he gets one before the World Cup, actually. Adrian, you've, have you been in a dressing room around a striker who's not scoring? Is it a bit um, strange? Do you avoid them? Do you arm round <laughs> them? I mean, what are you doing? I can't think of a specific one, but yeah, I think bound to have been... Several times, really. Yeah, definitely it's happened. And yeah, strikers are happy when they're scoring and when they're not scoring, they can be grisly, miserable creatures. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just the nature of the, of the beast. So I don't, I can't imagine him being grisly or miserable, Gabriel Jesus, but it will be annoying him. And he might be a little bit more touchy and he might be less smiley and certainly maybe a little bit more, um, tense even little things like training when a striker's not happy like righty for example when righty was banging him in he was just loving it he was you know that big smile of his would have been would be seen you know far and wide every day but if he was going through a little bit of a mini drought it'd be a bit on edge and maybe he'd be looking to sort of you know pick a fight here and there or get the hump and answer somebody back it it just happens with, with strikers nature. yeah it's human nature so yeah i i get the feeling he's getting frustrated Everything's getting blocked at the moment. He's just—he is a little bit unlucky. Um, so. he, he just needs another scruffy one, like like the Spurs one, and and hopefully he can he can get off and running again. He's, I'd love watching him. We talked about it on the show last night, and someone compared him to Alexis Sanchez in terms of sort of the the endeavour and the skill. And I thought that was a good comparison. But I would prefer to watch uh, Gabriel Jesus than, than Alexis Sanchez. I have to say, by the way, I watched Alexis the other night from Marseille when the Arsenal reserve took on Tottenham or the Arsenal, uh, the ex-Arsenal players took on Tottenham. Anyone think Kalasinash was going to score that header? No. Oh I don't even, you don't even have to answer that. Uh, but Alexis still looked good. Somebody suggested buying him, having him as an impact sub off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Decent idea? No. I think that <laughs> okay, ship sailed. I think it probably has. Uh, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ian Stone, James McNicholas and Adrian Clark on hand break off from The Athletic. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli did a pre-match press conference. Um, this is what he said. I'm very happy at Arsenal. I said it many times. Uh, this is my club. Uh, I love to be here. I love the city. I love the club. I love everything about Arsenal. Uh, so I want to stay. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. They just need to get a pen. Yeah, I just need to get a pen. <laughs> we talked, Adrian, about players coming to the end of their contracts. Saka, Saliba, Martinelli. There doesn't seem to be any worry about the club because it's a feel-good sort of vibe at the moment. Um, Gabriel Martinelli... He loves it here. He said it, but I, even if he hadn't said it, I, I knew that anyway. Yeah, exactly. I think they're all loving it, aren't they? It's uh, They're sort of a band of brothers, all quite similar ages in their early 20s. And and you can see that they get on very well and are enjoying their football. So I don't think that there's any thought from any of them really about moving on. No. Uh, it's just it's just agents get, agents get in the way of contracts. I think if he was given a pen, he'd just sign it without looking. Gabriel Martinelli, but but someone will obviously advise him, oh, no, you can get more, you could do this and do that. And, and these things drag out and they become a bit more protected. Uh, protected. So, um, yeah, protracted, sorry. Um, yeah, he's going to sign. And yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the others will. I mean, with, with William Saliba, it's a slightly different case, I guess, because he didn't have the trust initially, did he, of the, of the manager? And now he's got it. And and I don't know. I'm not saying he's going to try and make make, make Mikel Arteta sweat, but um, he, he he is now in a, in an unexpected position of strength, isn't he? So, um, so He'd that, be entitled to as well, to be honest. Out of the three of them, he would be entitled to. After three years of Arteta going, well, I'm not sure. And him yeah. looking world-class in uh, in Liga. So to come back and go, well, maybe Mikel, you exactly. know. And he, exactly. let's be fair, he, he would have a few suitors. But all the work that's being done, Edu being people talking about Edu, other clubs looking at Edu, Barcelona obviously talking about Mikel Arteta, like Mikel Arteta would ever go and make. I mean, Mikel Arteta is Basque, right? There's no way that he's going to manage Barcelona. And why would you do that at the moment anyway? I feel like that clip's going to be played back to us when uh, Arteta walks out (laughs) midway through the season. Do you know... Well, if that is the case, I'm prepared to uh, to back myself. But there it is. I noticed Josh Cronkier was in uh, the crowd last night. I, I think these things, that 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 feeling of togetherness, it would help to have the uh, the owner. I mean, the owner's son, in fact, but the guy who's basically in charge uh, at the club. It does feel very together at the moment, does it not, James? I'm just going to jump in very quickly um, on that. Just the first thing that came into my head was, I'm glad he was there. Because he could see with his own eyes that maybe some of the... I'm not saying that they're not good enough, but he could maybe see with his own eyes that the drop-off from sort of first-team players at the moment to the next level is quite big. And it might it might just sort of polarise it in his head that, that, yeah, we could do with one or two bodies in January. Maybe that's just me wishful thinking. 
James, I think that sounds like uh, a very good idea, to be honest with you, that, that uh, Josh will watch it and go, OK, here's another 100 million quid. Well, I'm really interested to see what happens in January because, you know, last January, if you think back, Arsenal were in a promising position and ultimately made a kind of strategic decision to not do deals that, you know, they that weren't high on their list of targets, essentially. And I guess given the way the summer's played out and the success of the signings they've made, particularly, you know, the likes of Jesus, they'll feel that they probably, you know, to some extent, they'll feel that they got that right, even if yeah. top four did slip away from them in terms of the long-term squad building. And this January presents them with a, a different scenario, one where, you know, they're within touching distance of the top of the league. How do they respond to that? And, you know, what are they prepared to commit? What kind of deals are they able to bring forward or enact at this mid-season point? And, and I think it, I've said this on here before. I think it's going to be a busy window for a lot of clubs. And I hope Arsenal are in that mix because although we've done brilliantly in the Premier League and finished top of the Europa League group, and that's really commendable, you can see some gaps in the squad here and there. So, yeah, hopefully those strategy meetings are what Josh Cronk is over for and they're, they're hammering out a plan for January. Yeah, apparently Mudrik, the, um, the Ukrainian kid um according to the Shakhtar Donetsk dressing room they already they're already saying that he's an Arsenal player so uh done deal apparently he is good he's lively um I don't know how much he's, he's like a wing version of Haaland to me I mean that's <laughs> what he looks like to me just almost unstoppable and I love watching him the clips I've seen obviously everyone's got a good uh YouTube clip uh collection but you know, that sort of player. And and we must, Adrian, be an attractive option for players at the moment. We're in London. We're one of, we're one of the best teams in Europe at the moment in the way that we're playing. We've got we've got some of the best young talent in the world. We've got a young team, so there's a future ahead of it. I mean, I, I don't understand why any player wouldn't move to the Arsenal. No, Arsenal haven't been this attractive a proposition for many, many years. Including the... last summer, by the way, yeah. Adrian. No, uh, no we, we, we are. This is the time, in my opinion, I'm, I'm on the same page as James here. This is the time to flex our muscles and have that major club mentality of like, yeah, we're back. We're sticking around at the top end and, and the players that we're going to sign are going to be you know, exceptional. And yeah, I think Mudrick would be a good sign and he's an excellent wide forward that he's got great pace and an end product. Um, He won't come cheap though. That's the only issue. He will not come cheap. But you know what? Stan Kroenke has got a few quid. So let's maybe spend some when we're in the right position to do so, which I believe we are. Simon Johnson, who writes for Chelsea for The Athletic, said that Arsenal are favourites going into Sunday's game. Are we, James? I mean, we played a pretty tough game last night. We're now recording at eight minutes past ten on Friday morning. The game kicks off in slightly less than 50 hours' time. Is that really enough time to recover? Well, there were seven changes made to the starting lineup last night. A lot of first-team players, or first 11 players, should we say, didn't play 90 minutes. If you look at the team that Chelsea picked to play Zagreb on Wednesday night, you know, there are a lot of big names in that team, the likes of uh, Sterling, Aubameyang, Mount, Havertz, Aspilicueta. You know, so they've had a midweek game as well to contend with that was competitive. They had to come from behind, I think, to win that one. Are we favourites? 
on form, yeah. I mean, look, Chelsea got beat before one at the weekend by Brighton. Um, they've had a very up and down season. Uh, and Arsenal have been incredibly consistent in the Premier League. I would stop short of saying that I go to Stamford Bridge confident. I think I've had too many uh, traumatic experiences there in the past and the sort of spectre of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang hangs over this fixture somewhat. Um, I actually think if Arsenal can get a point at Stamford Bridge, that's a very, very decent result. And I think that might be what I consider the likeliest outcome, actually. I can see a draw in this game. Yeah. If we win our two games, we stay top during the World Cup, which would be an incredible uh, achievement, Adrian. Obviously, that's what the players are thinking about. And we have won our last two games uh, at Stamford Bridge and unbeaten in the last three visits. They're going to go in with some confidence, aren't they? Yeah, this group of players aren't scarred by the memories that we all share. of Mm. of, play uh, against Didier Drogba. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, my memories of Stamford Bridge are mainly unpleasant as well. But, yeah, three pretty good performances across the last three seasons. So so that isn't an issue. Graham Potter is an interesting one. He's got a very good record against Arteta and a very good record against Arsenal in general. Um, he tends to get his tactics right against us. It'll be interesting to see what he does because the 3-4-2-1 that he has favoured this season, and he didn't use it against Zagreb, by the way, if he was to go with 3-4-2-1, I think that, that would be good news for us um, because I think it would... Leave them very light in central midfield. Wouldn't have that natural person to sit on Thomas Partey. But I suspect Potter being Potter, he will recognise the value of Thomas Partey and the strength of Arsenal's midfield and flip it around. And I think he's going to try and pack that area and and stunt us. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game tactically. I too would take a draw, I've got to say. Um, but but we are the better team. We've We've been a lot better than Chelsea this season. I was looking at some of the numbers, expected goals and goals in open play. We're second to City. Chelsea are ninth in terms of expected goals. They're eighth in terms of actual goals in open play. And at the other end of the pitch, we're also second to Manchester City for expected goals against. Chelsea are 12th. So Chelsea are giving up a lot of chances and should probably have conceded more goals than they have. That's what that stat tells you. So there's nothing to fear here. Um, we've got to, I don't know, we've got to go there like a big team and turn up with a swagger and, and, and a willingness to fight and scrap it out and, yeah, show our authority. I'd love to see us go to Stamford Bridge and dominate them. Whether that happens or not, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> if we do go to Stamford Bridge and dominate them and then beat Wolves, do we have to have that conversation that we're putting off all this time? No? All right. Oh, do you know About what, you what know, to you get Mikel Arteta for Christmas. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. <laughs> that conversation. I know we've still got weeks to go, but you know how time can just pass so quickly. Uh, we're currently 10 points ahead of Chelsea in six, eight ahead of Manchester United. This is a big weekend for us and uh, certainly some sort of positive result would be marvellous. One thing before we go, uh, Amy wrote a piece about how our squad is about to... Sp- basically be split up. We know there are some certainties to go at the World Cup, although obviously one of them was Tommy Asu. Well, we'll see what happens with him and some who definitely aren't. And the difficulty, we're not the only team dealing with this, is how to get everyone back to the same level when we kick off the domestic season again in December. Uh, Adrian, I mean, every team, as I say, is going through this, but it's a juggling act, isn't it? From players who've had a couple of weeks off 
to players who played at the very highest level at the World Cup, possibly into the semi-final and final. That's It's a very different thing that you're dealing with. Yeah, but Mikel Arteta and the coaching staff, particularly the, the fitness guys, will have planned this out months ago and they will, they will have sort of plans and programmes in place to make sure that from a scientific point of view at least, the players that don't go to the World Cup will be at the same level as those that have been featuring in in matches over in Qatar or certainly sort of high-octane training sessions. So yeah, that it's a juggling act. They'll learn as they go. I think we'll see a few friendlies, probably mainly behind closed doors. But yeah, no the, more news. No, no, more no, news no, no, not, no. I'm not saying so, my lip, my lips are sealed. <laughs> um, but yeah, the um, but there will be friendlies just just to keep the players ticking over. I think they'll only be. I think they'll only give players about a week off, and then they'll they'll get them in and 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 sort of keep them ticking over. I imagine. I don't. I don't think Arsenal will send send those players on holiday for two or three weeks. Don't think that will happen. No. I mean, there's only... I mean, when they come back from the World Cup, though, I think the World Cup final's on, what, the 18th or something? And then first game back... First game back could be a Carabao Cup game on the 22nd. And then we've got West Ham on the 26th. Uh, it's not a lot of time to get everyone up at the same level, James. No, and it's interesting, you know. I feel like as as a fan base, collectively, we've not really looked at the fixture list very much beyond the World Cup because it's this big insurmountable obstacle in the way. But there is actually a need for Arsenal to hit the ground running relatively quickly because if you if you run through the league fixtures when we get back, so it's West Ham, London Derby on, on Boxing Day, then it's Brighton away, which can be challenging. We saw Chelsea get beat there. Then after that, three games in a row, Newcastle... Tottenham, Manchester United, home away home. Those games, yeah, I mean, but they're but they're still big big games, games. Which you know, if you're if you're not talking about the title at that point in time, and you're talking about top four places, they're all effectively potentially six pointers. So it's going to be fascinating. And those teams will have the same challenges as Arsenal. Don't forget, they'll have players who've been at the World Cup and they're trying to reintegrate them and trying to get everyone on the same page and up to speed, but. January is going to be a really fascinating month, especially because there'll be this undercurrent as well of all the transfer talk going on. Yeah, it's going to be a really intriguing time. To be honest, uh, Adrian, on that on that very point, uh, before we uh, stop chatting, playing those big games, those those six pointers, Champions League plays six pointers against other teams who also presumably would have quite a lot of players coming back from the World Cup. Isn't that almost better than playing against, say, Nottingham Forest or a team who've had, um, for example, or Bournemouth, who've had very few going out there and they've been together over those, uh, they've been doing lots of training sessions. In the end, you have to be up for Tottenham away or May United at home or Newcastle at home. Yeah, I'm hearing you. I am. I think that that there is a valid case for that. It's going to even itself out. The same issues we have, they'll have. But yeah, it's, it's a huge run of games um, what will happen if we finish this the games against Chelsea and Wolves strongly put ourselves in a huge position of strength think about the mentality of those teams coming into those January fixtures they will view them as, as must wins for them or yes. there will be a huge nice juicy carrot there for them to, to rein us in won't there so I think we can expect three really tough matches because we'll be the ones that they're aiming at to, to reel in. So we've got to be ready for that. I'm glad we're there to be shot at, I'll be honest with you. Uh, let's have a song to end. There aren't 
I would say that many songs about slightly plodding victories in this crappy Euro competition. <laughs> um, but um, what have we got, Adrian? What have we got? Uh, for us? It was funny. Oh, yeah, I was going to go with one about about last night's game. You know, like a bad day song. You know, was it Daniel Powder? But no, let's look ahead to Chelsea. And the one that came into my head was um, the one that the ceiling can't hold us. You know that song, Macklemore, and uh, I think it's Macklemore. And Ryan Lewis, ceiling can't hold us. And, and you know, you got to fight. That, that's sort of in there. I just want to see a performance where we really fight at Chelsea. And I don't think they can hold us if we bring our A game. So um, that's the sort of inspirational track that I'm, I want to sign off with today. I thought I thought you were going to go for Go West, to be honest, as we're heading off to Stamford Bridge. But uh, that's all right. What have you got for us, James? Well, I was thinking of Kieran Tierney, who I thought was the standout performer on the night. And a couple of years ago... Some Arsenal fans um, stumbled across a, a playlist that belonged to Kieran Tierney on Spotify, um, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, and it was his. It was Kieran Tierney's playlist, and it had some classic tracks in it. it had "I Want to Dance with Somebody," Whitney Houston, Waterfalls, TLC, um, some Paolo Nettuni in there, some some Bruce Springsteen, but one of the tracks, track sixteen on the Kieran Tierney playlist <laughs> um, was Beautiful Day by U2. And if we win at Stamford Bridge, it will be one. So I'll, yeah. I'll go for that one. <laughs> all right, I'm having um, All Right by Supergrass. Uh, it is a song about being young. It is. And I do think it's worth reminding ourselves how young this team is. We do have the youngest squad in the Premier League and the future could be very bright and they are moving forward brilliantly. So well, I don't I don't want people to put too much pressure on them because they're young boys and they still have a long way to go. So I'm going with that. Keep your teeth nice and clean, chaps. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, that's it for Handbrake Off. Uh, thank you to James. Thank you to Adrian. Thanks to Guy, our producer. And thank you, listener. See you next week. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.